Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Shirley, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Each week, we will be releasing sermons and studies delivered directly from the pulpit at our church. Our goal with this podcast from Calvary Road Baptist Church is to make the gospel and sound biblical preaching more available to a wider audience. We hope that these sermons will be a blessing and an encouragement to you each week. As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter number 4 today. We're going to be looking at a few verses over there. Uh, I, I want to mirror what Brother Joe said and say thank you uh, to the church for your support of the men's conference. Um, I know that uh, prayers were sent up. And the reason I know that is because God couldn't, would not have shown up the way He did if there were not some genuine prayers being sent up. Because, I mean, the Lord showed up uh, in a miraculous way. Uh, we, we had more, got more men there than we've ever had. Uh, the services, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to compare one service and one message to another. When the Lord moves, it's a blessing every time. But I just went home last night astounded, honestly, at all that God did and said while we were there through the men uh, that He sent to, a message with. And I just want to say, say thank you to the church for your prayers. We asked you to pray, and I know you did. Amen. Uh, I want to thank those who were able to attend, and I want to thank the church for supporting it, because it, let me just be honest with you, it takes money, it takes time, it takes work to put together something like what we did, and I have received so many testimonies from men who came uh, who were just amazed at what the Lord did for them while they were there, and each one of you who are here, who are a part of this work and a part of this church, are a part of that. Everybody who prayed, whether you, whether you prayed, whether you cooked something, or whether you were there, or whether you just put money in the offering plate and your contribution goes toward helping these preachers and taking care of the food and those kind of things from the smallest to the largest part, God notices and God cares. Amen? There, the, amen. God cares. He cares a lot. And He cares about us being about His work. And I'm going to tell you, there, there were some men there. There was one guy in particular I thought a lot about today and last night. A, a pastor who I've known for many years, but hadn't been around in a long time. I, I was talking to a friend of mine, Brother Josh England, brought him with him, uh, and, and um, he, just, he just seemed so refreshed and overwhelmed with how the Lord had spoke to him, and I was talking to Brother Josh, and Josh just told me he, he just that that guy needed, needed that, and the Lord really just did a great work for him. And if that's all I heard, it would have been worth all of it. But I'm telling you, people just walked away just saying, the Lord really helped me, and the Lord showed me this, and the Lord showed me that. And, and let me just tell you, the Lord met with us. Friday night, my uncle Tony, he preached a message on how that we're all on the wall together, and it, it blew my mind. I'm not going to lie to you. Very simple and straightforward thought, but the way that God moved in that service was so powerful that shortly after when we dismissed, I felt like, should we even dismiss? You know, it was late, things were going on. We dismissed 20 minutes later. Some of them cranked church back up. They started singing testifying, and it went on for another 30 minutes. I mean, it was that sort of a night, and the Lord just did miraculous things. And uh, I just want to thank the church for your willingness to support the meeting financially, with your prayers, with your attendance, and all those things. And every single one of us are a part of that work of God. Amen. Amen. Say, so, well, it's a men's thing. So, no, 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 no. Let me just tell you, 
We, you were all a part of that work. Amen. And the people were thankful for this church being a part of that. And God cares. Just wanted to let you know that. God does care. And we're thankful for your faithfulness. 2 Timothy chapter 4. The Lord uh, kind of spoke to me through. I was listening. One of the preachers was preaching. And he made some offhanded comment about something. And it took my mind to a passage that I've preached on before. And most, many of you have probably already heard messages from this passage we're going to look at. But the Lord kind of struck my heart with it, and last night and this morning I began to look over it, and I believe this is what the Lord wants me to say today. So hopefully it will be a help to you. I believe that it is important that when we come to church, we go to the Word of God. Amen. Now, I've been in services where things got on, if you will, and the preacher didn't preach, and man, it was wonderful, and we all went home. And those are great, and we need those, and those are times of refreshing. Amen. But even in those services, you can find the Word of God. Amen. But today, I want to go to God's Word, and I want to show you something. Like I said, you've probably already seen it. You've probably already heard it preached on. But I feel that it's needful in our day. To be honest, this thought is one that we probably need to hear uh, about every six months or so. Maybe not from this passage, but this same thought. And I want to look in 2 Timothy chapter 4. We'll start in verse number 1. And I'll tell you what, let's let's all stand together. We're going to read 10 verses here. We'll stand in honor of the reading of the Word. In 2 Timothy chapter 4. And verse number 1, Paul is writing his second letter to Timothy. And this this chapter here is is kind of seen as like a salutation at the end of Paul's ministry because of this chapter and the things he says here. It sounds like a goodbye letter. And you'll see that as we read down through it. He says this, he said, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, Make full proof of thy ministry. And he's talking to Timothy, his own son in the faith. This man who Paul has has raised up in in the nurture and admonition of the Word of God, if you will, as a young man, taught him everything he knows about being a pastor and helping him in the ministry. And he's his mentor, and as he said, like a father to him. He says this, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. Verse 9. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Cretans to Galatia, Titus, to Dalmatia. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you, God, for allowing us one more time to come into your house. God, we thank you for every man, woman, and child that's come out today to the house of God. Lord, I know that we are here this morning in honor of you, God, and we love you. Lord, we're so thankful, Lord, for all that you do, all that you've done. God, we're so thankful for your many blessings on our lives, and God, how that you've, you've, you've done so much more, Lord. You've dealt bountifully with us, and God, we know that. I ask you this morning, if you would, God, help us to hear the Word of God and to be admonished. Help us, God, to hear the Word of God 
and to be drawn closer to you, Lord, to be exhorted, God, to be lifted up, Lord, and, and to understand, Lord, that we are in the right way if we're serving you. And God, that there is no life out there that is worth trading for this life. I pray this morning, please help me, God, to preach this message, Lord, with power. Help me to preach it, Lord, with the unction of the Holy Spirit. And help these people, Lord, to listen and to hear. And not only to hear, God, but to be doers also. We love you, Lord. We ask these things according to your riches and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Paul is writing to Timothy this letter, and he is writing it for his benefit. And it is included in the canon of Scripture for our benefits so that we may see the truth of the inspired words that Paul has penned down here concerning preaching the word in the first eight or so verses. And he talks about the, the, the pew, the crowd, those who are supposed to be receiving the preaching, and sometimes how there will be those who will draw away from God. And he speaks to Timothy directly and says, you need to preach the word, you need to be instant, in season, out of season, you need to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering. He's telling him those things and he's giving him a whole lot sort of as a kind of like a last, just a last sort of thing to give him before he gives his own testimony and how that he believes that the time of his departure is at hand. And when something is at hand, it's within reach. You understand that? When something is at hand, it's right here. And Paul said, I believe I'm about to turn the corner and my departure is right there. And he says, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. And when he's saying that, he's talking about how that that he's not been perfect, Paul's not been perfect. You can read the gospel, I mean, you can read the, the book of Acts and you can read the epistles and Paul will admit his faults, amen. And you will see times where he even at times didn't act correctly and thought he was right and then later had to repent that and that Paul was just a man. But one thing he said is, that I've fought a good fight, I've finished my course, I've kept the faith, that he was faithful and that he stuck with it and he sees the end just ahead and his intention is to stay faithful until the very end. Amen. And the end for Paul was going to be a chopping block. But as we're reading through this passage and we see Paul's words of exhortation to his own son in the faith, Timothy, after he gives him some of the most well-known words of Paul in the Bible here from his uh, speaking of his departure and how encouraging that is that, that if we will be faithful and that we will love his appearing, that there's a crown of righteousness waiting for us on the other side. Amen. What a powerful state. Amen. What a powerful statement that is. To know that our God is watching, and not only that He's watching, but that He cares about what we're doing. And that if we will just be faithful and stick with it and do what's right, that on the other side, there is a crown of righteousness. That there is a great reward, a blessed hope that is waiting for those who love His appearing. But in verse number 10, in verse number 9, rather, he changes directions and he tells Timothy, he says, Timothy, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. He's saying that because he needs help. Paul needs help. He's stuck in prison. He is very limited in what he can do. He is held in one place. And he is, he is restricted and limited and he's facing his death and he needs some men to help him and to do some things for him. And he says, Timothy, do your best. Do thy diligence. Do the best you can if you can at all manage it, come and see me as quickly as you can. And he just got done telling him, I'm probably going to be dying soon, so we probably don't have much time to come. Do thy diligence, come to me shortly. Why? You see that colon at the end of that verse? That means that this is, this is the next thing that said is connected. You understand that, right? This is leading into that, and this applies to that. Do thy diligence, come to me shortly. Why? Colon. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved 
this present world. I'm going to preach this, this thought this morning. I've given it this, this title, The Legacy of a Loser. We're reading about Paul, we're reading about Timothy, and if you read down through the rest of the chapter, you'll read about some great men who did good things for God. But right here in the middle of this verse, Paul takes a break from the glory, he takes a break from the instruction, and he says, Timothy, I need you to come to me shortly because Demas has forsaken me. It's not Demas went home, Demas left, Demas that. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And, and suddenly, we're taken out of the passage and taken out of everything that's been said, and we're, we, are, we are forced to focus on one man. When you get to the end of these chapters, a lot of times Paul will say, this one salutes you, that one salutes you. He even does it here. But those names almost kind of just wash over you, don't they? Only Luke is with me. Take Mark, Tychicus, and, and Carpus, and he names all these men. But he focuses in on Demas. And he says something very specific about him. And what he says is, he has forsaken me. I want you to see the, important, the importance of his mentioning. So well, really, what does it matter? There's, it's not like there's a whole chapter or there's a, a whole big passage about it. And there's, there's plenty of men in the Bible and people in the Bible. There's a whole lot said about them and a whole lot said about their lives. You know, you can read about David. You can read about Abraham. You can read about uh, Isaiah. You can read about Elijah. You can read about Jesus. You can read about John the Baptist. You can read about all these men. But here's this one man, and he's just mentioned with just a real quick thing. So he's really not that important. Well, I, I, I disagree. I want you to see the importance of his mentioning for one thing, because right before this, in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, Paul says there at the very end that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now this is Scripture. Amen? And when Demas' name is mentioned... In the Bible, it's important. I believe every word in this Bible is important. I believe the punctuation is important. I believe it's all important. And it's all there for our benefit. Because the Bible says it's all given for inspir by inspiration of God. It's all given and is profitable. That means it's there for a reason and it is valid. It's validity. All Scripture has a valid purpose. Psalm 119 and verse 160 says this, Thy word is true. From the beginning. And every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. That means from the first word of the Bible to the last word of the Bible, it is all true and it's all profitable. Amen. It's validity. His name being mentioned here is not, well, Paul just went on a tangent. No. It's inspired. God wanted his name in here for a reason. It is profitable. It is purposeful. It's for a reason. That's its validity. But then we see its value. I want you to imagine with me that it was your name in the Bible. I'm talking about the Bible. The Bible said, heaven and earth shall pass away. But my words shall never pass away. Eternal words. The Bible is eternal. It's the most bought book in all of existence. It's thousands of years old now. It is preserved by God. It is perfect. And right here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, there is a man who lived and his name was placed eternally in the canon of Scripture. That's a big deal. 
That's a lot bigger deal than what goes on every year in Canton, Ohio when they vote and induct men's names into the NFL Hall of Fame. It's a much bigger deal than the names of the men who signed our Constitution and Declaration of Independence. Amen. It is a bigger deal than any of that. That your name would be included in what is called the perfect and inspired and divine Word of God. What a valuable thing that is. They're not selling slots to get your name in the Bible. There is a certain amount of words and pages and books. God declared what they were. God inspired them and He inspired Paul to include this man's name. Now, would you dare say there are other men that Paul served with in the ministry whose name he never wrote down? Would you say that's true? John said that if we were to try to write all the things that Christ did in his life, that the, all the paper, all the pages, all the books, and all the, all the trees in the world couldn't be cut down and make enough pages to, to contain all the things that Jesus did. So God chose the ones he thought were important enough that we needed to know them. And so he did in 2 Timothy chapter 4. So we know it's here for a reason. In Colossians chapter 4, Demas is mentioned. In Colossians chapter 4 verse 14, Paul's doing the same thing at the end. He says this, said, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Back in Colossians, when he was writing, Demas was with Paul and serving the Lord. You know how I know he was serving the Lord? Because in Philemon, chapter, only one chapter, but chapter 1, verse 23, here's what he said. He said, There salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. Now imagine if 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10 was not in here, and all we had was Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, and Philemon, verse 24. All we would know about Demas is that he worked with Paul that he was with Paul when Paul wrote those books, and that he was a fellow laborer in the work of Christ. Amen. That's valuable. How would you like to be one who Paul had written that you were faithful to the work of God and were a part of God's work? What a privilege that would be. That your legacy would be that God included you in the Word of God, I mean, amongst some pretty powerful names, such as Jesus Christ, such as David, the king of Israel, such as the apostle Paul, amen. I mean, people whose names are known by people all over the world and will be known for generations to come and have been known for generations past. When I am gone from this world, there's a solid chance within a century, no one will know my name. Let's just be honest. How many people do you know their name from a century ago? How many preachers' names do you know from a century ago? Not many. A few. And sure, I'd love for God to, to use our church to do such, such a crazy thing that maybe it would, something would be immortalized, but the truth is, my name doesn't matter. My name doesn't matter. But Demas' name mattered enough that God put it in His Word. You've got John 3.16 and you've got 2 Timothy 4.10 and they're both in the same book. It matters. It's valuable. I want you to see not only the importance of his mentioning, I want you to see the impact of his memory. We clearly see the importance, the very fact that he's mentioned in our Bible. It's a big deal. Can we all say amen, it's a big deal? It's a big deal that Demas' name is in the Bible. To say that it's not is to reject the truth of the Word of God. But the impact of his memory is this. If we know it's in there and it's a big deal that it's there, well then what is it that we need to see from it? Well, I want you to see Demas' 
suitable entrance. I read it to you there. It's specifically, he's mentioned there in uh, Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, as one who greeted them and who was in the service of God. But in Philemon chapter 1, verse 24, he said he was a fellow laborer. He listed him there with Marcus and Aristarchus and Lucas, and he said, these are my fellow laborers, and he was talking about the service of God. Amen. The work of God. Amen. It's been mentioned, it was mentioned over and over again this weekend about being on the wall, that we chose that verse from Nehemiah chapter 4, that they had, the people had a mind to work. Amen. And like Nehemiah, they built the wall, and they, had, they stood there with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. And that is an example of Demas at this time. That in, in the book of Philemon, chapter 1, verse 24, he is a fellow laborer in the work of God that Paul thought he was such a benefit to the church that he used him as an example to be a blessing to other people. We're saluting you, and we want you to know while you're over there working, we're over here working, and I've got Demas with me, and he's working. Amen. He had a suitable entrance into the work of Christ that his, his testimony was as a fellow laborer. Amen. You say, well, he wasn't a pastor. Well, he wasn't a preacher. Well, he wasn't this or well, he wasn't that. No, what he was is he was a fellow laborer for Christ and the work of God. What a great honor that is to be a part of the work of God. Whether you're at the smallest of what men would say is the smallest position or the largest doesn't matter at all. We are all a part of the work of God. And so was Demas. That was his entrance. It was suitable that he was a part of the work of God, that he was involved, amen, in seeing, I believe he was involved in seeing souls saved. That's what Paul was all about. Paul was all about seeing souls saved. And if he said somebody's a fellow laborer with me, that's what he means. We're over here doing God's work, and we're all doing what's important and what really matters, and Demas is in here with us. He's in the trenches with us. We see a suitable entrance, but then we see his shameful exit. Verse 10, he said, For Demas hath forsaken me. Demas did not receive an honorable discharge from the ministry. Demas didn't come one day and say, Paul, listen, I'm, I'm so sorry. My mom's sick back home. I'm going to have to go home and take care of her. You know, something came up, and, and there's a legitimate reason for him stepping aside and and he, he, he's, he's going, I'm going to keep praying for you, Paul, and, and if I can come back, I will, but I, I've got to go home for a while. I've got, it wasn't anything like that. He was a deserter. Y'all heard that, haven't you? A deserter. That's what he was. He was in the work of God, doing the work of God one day, and the next day, gone. He deserted. He left. He bailed. It wasn't something that happened to him. It was a choice that he made. The Bible said about Moses in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, he said he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. That was Demas' selfish excuse. Paul said, he hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Nobody made Demas get out. Nobody made Demas quit on God. Demas chose to quit and to leave and to bail on God and to bail on God's man. Here's Paul sending letters to Timothy saying, Timothy, if you can, I could really use your help because my laborer over here that was with me, he's forsaken me because he loves the world. You know what John said about loving the world? He said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. He said, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Amen. 
It's one thing to live in this world. We live in this world, don't we? I mean, I, I live from Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and back to Sunday. I live, I go home, I get in my bed, and I get up, and I cook breakfast, or I do this, and I, we go to work, and we, we do our lives, and we live our lives, and sometimes we will watch TV, or read a book, or play, play a sport, or, or do this, or play with our kids, and we're living our lives, because we live in this world. And there are a lot of things in this world that we interact with on a daily basis, even things that we enjoy even things that we might would use the word love for, right? Like you might love, to, we took, we had a, on Friday with the men's conference, we took the men golfing over in, in uh, LaRue County. And some of those guys, let me tell you, they love golf. Some of those guys, they don't. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And I, I, I enjoyed myself. I'm not a golfer. I've only golfed a couple times. But I had a good time. But some guys, man, they were talking. I know Brother Joe's really tuned into that. And I was with Andrew Decker from up in Ohio. He was there, and he was on our team. And he was talking some jargon and lingo to that. And I was going, is this another language? Are you speaking a foreign language? He said something about closing the, I can't remember what he called it, closing the face, open face, closing face, and different things and different stuff. And he was showing me something to do with his hand. I saw him hit a ball through two trees to curve it over and land on the green over there, and I thought it was witchcraft. I'm pretty sure it was. Because he loves it. Because he really, really enjoys it. And it's, can I tell you this? It's okay to really enjoy things in life. It's okay to have hobbies. And to have things that you like doing. But it's never okay to love anything more than you love God. It is never okay to place your hobby, your job, anything over God. That is such a foreign concept to men. You know why? Because men, women, humans, if we're honest, we're a lot like Demas. We live in this world. And it's easy to fall in love with things we see around us. Some things that are, are wicked, let's be honest. There's some things that are just wicked. You ought not even go near it. Don't even darken the door. Don't even go around it. Stay away from it because it's a danger to you. Some things aren't wicked. They're just worldly. It's just the world we live in. And it's okay to have those things. The problem is when we put those things on such a high pedestal that they are more important to us than the work of God. When Jesus, to Him, there was nothing more important than the work of God. That He endured the cross, despising the shame. And that he went as a sheep before his shears, he opened not his mouth. Do you know why? Because no matter how he felt about it, and no matter how hard it was, and no matter how painful it was, the, only, the one thing that mattered more than anything else was the will of God. Demas chose the world. He chose self over the Spirit. He chose the world over the Word. He chose a pleasurable season, as we read there in Hebrews chapter 11, over perpetual satisfaction. He thought he was getting the good end of the deal, but what he didn't know is he was heading one way toward destruction. There is pleasure in sin for a season. But when that season is up, the pleasure is gone. It was a selfish excuse. Galatians chapter 5, verse 7, Paul said this, You did run well, who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Do you know who hindered Demas? 
Demas. Brother Sean was preaching Friday morning and he got to talking about how that he is his own worst enemy. Can I tell you? That's a fact. The devil ain't nearly as difficult of a problem for me as I am for myself. I'm not nearly a big enough fish for him. I know a lot of times we blame the devil. The devil made me do this and the devil, the devil, the devil. And I'm not saying the devil and we're not facing spiritual wickedness in our places. We are. But here's the truth. A lot of it's just me being wicked and having a desire for wicked things. And the devil might drop something in my way, but you know what? He don't drag me over there, kick me down in a hole, make me do something. No, I do it because I want to. And that's what Demas did. Demas took a look at what he was doing. He took a thought at what Paul told him about the Word of God and about the work of God. And he looked over there and he saw what a lot of those Greeks and a lot of those Romans were taking part in, the sin and the degradation and the wickedness. And he thought, you know what? I think I'm just going to go do that instead. And when he did, he decided that he loved the world more than he loved God. Oh, man, Demas, that's awful. I'd be careful. I want to give you some insight into Paul's message. I need to hurry. Let's look back at some of these previous verses. I think it's so telling what Paul said before he told Timothy about Demas. And I have to imagine that Timothy knew Demas. Timothy was a fellow laborer with Paul. Timothy had visited Paul, and Timothy was with Paul, and Timothy spoke with Paul, and they were part together. I almost think Timothy had probably sat at meals with Demas. He may have been somewhere preaching and Demas was there. He may have been with him. He may have knew him very well or, very, or not very well, but he obviously knew him well enough that when Paul called him by name, it was purposeful and he knew who he was. I don't know how close Timothy and Demas were. Maybe Timothy had, had given Demas some encouragement. or I don't know, but I know this. It had to be discouraging when Timothy heard that Demas had forsaken the faith and forsaken Paul, having loved this present world. And in the previous verses, as Paul's writing his way up to that, he's going about to tell him about Demas first, he tells him some things. He says, I charge thee therefore before God. And he gives him a charge and he encourages him. He says, he says in the Lord Jesus Christ we shall judge the quick and the dead is appearing. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season, reproof, rebuke, exhort with all suffering and doctrine. Here's what he says in verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Paul speaks of their denial. He said there's a time coming and you're going to have people in your church, and you're going to have people that you thought were right, and you thought were around you, and you thought they were, they were good people, and suddenly they are not going to endure sound doctrine anymore. They're going to shut off the truth. They're going to deny it. It is a denial he speaks of, how they will refuse sound doctrine, and they will deny the teaching of God's Word every time it gets in their way. Amen? So what do you mean when you say that? Look at the rest of it. He said... But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. In verse number 2, he told Timothy, preach the word. And in verse number 3, he said they're going to abandon preachers and heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Now, is a teacher a bad thing? No. No, we're commanded to teach, to preach and to teach. Amen. We're told to teach, to teach others about the Word of God and to give others the gospel and, 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 to, and to learn more and more and to build up in that strong meat and all that's great. That's not what he's saying. He's saying they're going to get them some men who can't preach and instead say just what they want to hear. They heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They want to cut out the things they don't like to hear. Does that sound familiar? You ever had anybody, you ever seen anybody get mad at something a preacher said and what the preacher said was biblical? 
Now, I've heard preachers get up and say crazy things, and we all have, and people say things sometimes. I've said things and later had to go, I shouldn't have said that. We've all done that. But that's not what this is. The, the, the comparison is this, sound doctrine and teachers. And the teachers are not teaching sound doctrine because they want the teachers and they reject sound doctrine. So instead what they want is they want someone who will come in and not declare the truth and the power of the Spirit. They want a little 20-minute feel-good sermon that won't inconvenience them in any way. Well, church starts at 12.30 sharp and we'll be out of here by 1 o'clock. And that's just how I like it because i got stuff to do. But I did my part. I went to church. I got a little feel-good and now I can go my way. That's what they want. But what they want is they want men who work for them. Amen? They want men who work for them. They're not interested in men who work for God. They're not interested in the message that's going to get in their way. They're done with that. We've had enough of that. They reject sound doctrine. And they turn to these over here that they can bring in because their ears are itching for something that's going to make them feel better. Amen? Verse 4, They shall turn away their ears from the truth, look at this, and shall be turned unto fables. You know what a fable is? It's a story. And it's not a true one. And that's what men are turning to. That's their denial. Their desires is that they would get themselves teachers. And this is their doctrines. Their doctrines are not sound doctrines. They're fables. They're stories they tell themselves to make themselves feel better about themselves. Amen? My daughter would love it if Disney princesses were real. But they're not. They're fables. It's just a story. It's just a little tale. Amen. It's just a little feel-good story, a little feel-good tale. And sometimes there might be a good thought here or there that will creep through, but at the end of the day, it's just a fable. You can't live your life according to fables. You know what a fable is? Here's a fable. God loves you, and if God loves you, He would never let anything bad happen to you. Sounds great, but it's not true. We know that it rains on the just and the unjust, just like Brother Tim said this morning. We know that the one who had the storm come and was built on the foundations, one on the sand, one on the rock, they both went through the storm. We know that that is the way it is. That the life of a man, a man, his life, his days are short, they're few, full of trouble. That's just the way it is. Fables are not something you can live by. Their doctrines, what they're buying into, is something that no matter how good it sounds or how much you might like it, does not make it true. And Demas, you better believe, had convinced himself it's all going to be all right. I can still be a Christian and live the way I want to live. I can still be a Christian and say what I want to say, go where I want to go, do what I want to do, drink what I want to drink, listen to what I want to listen to. Amen? That's what he thought. He loved the world and forsook God because he didn't like what God had to say about the world. That's a fable. Sounds good, but it's just not true. So Paul told Timothy, he said, Watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. That's Paul's direction, that he would endure and work. And when he said make full proof of thy ministry, he's saying this, you need to make sure you got everything where it needs to be. Protect yourself. Walk circumspectly. Do what God wants you to do. Because there are those who are going to rise up and they're going to raise, God, they're going to raise the world up above God and you need to be careful you don't fall in the same trap. No preacher is exempt from falling away. No deacon, no layman, no preacher's wife, no deacon's wife 
No church member. No Sunday school teacher. Amen. Not a single man or woman inside the house of God who has been gloriously saved is exempt from the temptation that could draw you away from sound doctrine and turn you unto fables and rip you out of the work of God. Paul wanted Timothy to know Demas quit. He quit. He was a quitter. All the way back then. I mean, right in the middle of the the birth of the church, really. I mean, they were still seeing miracles done. They were seeing thousands saved. And yeah, they were in danger. But I mean, the power of God in the birth of the church in the... He quit. Let me show you the inclusion of another man will be done. Paul gives this example of Demas, and I believe it's here for our benefit. And then what the Bible said, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Because I believe God wants us to understand something. Never quit. Whether it's because you love the world, You've got some things in your life. There's a problem. There's a problem when a man or a woman can sit and listen to a preacher preach and hear the verses read that directly contradict things they're doing in their own personal life and they just go like this. There's a problem. The reason is because they love what they're doing and they love the world more than they love their God. Well, it's not that bad. It's not about whether or not it's that bad. It's not about whether, well, that one does, or this one does it, or that one, that one does worse things, or this one does it. It's not about that. If your bad, sorry attitude is the worst thing you've got, it's still yours, and you need to deal with it. Here's Demas. His life is, he's, he's serving God, and suddenly there are sins in his life, and I believe those sins, those temptations were already there. He just got to a point where he kept just kind of turning his ear away and... Eventually, he did what Paul said they would do. He said, the time will come when they will not endure. They're just they're going to turn away. And that's what Demas had done. But look in verse number 11. In verse number 10, he told us that Demas had forsaken him. In verse 11, he says what he says. He said, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. In Acts chapter 12 and verse 24, we see Mark, when he first came into the ministry with Paul, that he was there, it was Saul still, and Barnabas there in Acts 12, 24, said the word of God grew and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. That's John Mark. That John Mark had stepped into working in the ministry, and he had gotten started with doing things with Paul and with Barnabas in the ministry. And some time passes... And in Acts chapter 15, verse 36, it says, Some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. It's the same John Mark from Acts 12, who was with them in the ministry and had done the work with them. And in verse number 38, it says this, But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them, uh, from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. This is a lesser 
beginning. We see we're talking about the inclusion of another man. I'm almost done. But this is Mark, and he has a lesser beginning. Now, we know that he started there in Acts 12, and he began to get involved. But sometime, not in Acts 15, but between Acts 12 and Acts 15, there was a work opportunity, and Mark bailed on him. Y'all see that? He said, Paul said he didn't think he was good and didn't want to take him. He said, because he departed from us in Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. Sounds like maybe Mark was lazy. Maybe Mark was scared. We don't know Mark's real motivation. We just know this, that when it came time to go back to work in the ministry, Paul said, I don't want Mark. He's no good. You can't count on Mark. Mark bailed on us. He abandoned us. And Barnabas, who obviously had a heart of, of mercy and grace toward Mark, and they had such a sharp contention that they part ways, and you never see Paul and Barnabas back in the same ministry working together again, unfortunately. But Mark had a bad problem, similar like Demas, not the same problem, but he abandoned the work. Y'all see that? It's not a great start. It's a lesser beginning that it seemed like maybe he was getting in, but, but maybe he got to that point where he's like, do I really want to commit or do I really want to do this? And, and Mark, he just, he's like, well, I don't know. I'm not going to go. And then Paul says, well, you know what? That's fine. You can't count on him. We don't want him to be a pardon anymore. He can't do it. He's quit. That's a poor testimony. It's a poor testimony when you bail on the work of God. Can we agree? But then we see a later blessing. In our passage, in our, our text, in verse 11, sometime later, here's Paul writing to Timothy. He says, you need to come to me shortly. Demas has forsaken me. When you come, I want you to bring Mark. Because he's profitable to me for the ministry. Mark was a later blessing. Unlike Demas, maybe Mark didn't have a great start. But Mark repented. Mark got it right. And Mark went on and he became a prophet to Paul in the ministry. Unlike Demas, who started well and then walked away and we never hear from him again. At the end of the day, Mark's legacy is not that he was a perfect man, but God used him in a great way. And he turned it around and he finally submitted to God. And maybe he wasn't always the best Christian. Maybe he wasn't always, the, always faithful to, to this or faithful to that. Maybe he started off and was kind of weak and had this issue and that issue. But he grew in the Lord to the point that the greatest Christian who ever lived outside of Jesus Christ, Paul, the Apostle Paul, said he is profitable to me. What a testimony. That's his legacy. Now you might look back past all that and see some stuff there early on. Some things he did, he messed up, he wasn't there for the work, and man, Paul was upset, and that wasn't a great time. But look at what God did for him. And look at his legacy, his testimony, his true testimony. Mark is not remembered as one who quit. He's remembered as one who's profitable. He's not remembered as one who bailed and abandoned. He's one who's remembered as one who came back around and stuck with it and got right. Amen. That's his legacy. That's a much better legacy than one who maybe spent five, 10, 15, 20, 25 years in the ministry and then forsook it. 
You'll be remembered for how you ended way more than how you began. I'll be remembered for how I ended way more than how I began. If they lay me down when I pass this life, and if I walk away from the Lord, they'll get up and they'll say, man, he, he served the Lord when he was young and he did some good things for the Lord and he had a profession of faith and, and that's what they'll hold on to. But the whole time there'll be a dark cloud of the failure, of abandoning God, walking away from God, never, never coming back around, never being true, never being real. And that'll be what hangs over my life. That'll be what I'm remembered for. That will be my legacy. Demas had the opportunity of being an example of faithfulness and labor for the work of God. But he quit. So let me ask you the simple question. Do you want to be a Demas or a Mark? Both left a legacy, but one left the legacy of a loser. In his mind, maybe he thought, man, now I can finally do what I want. He lost so much when he walked away from the best thing there is. I don't want to be remembered as a quitter. I don't want to be remembered as one who, who loved the world so much I never could give God my all. I don't want to be a fringe Christian. I don't want to have one foot in and one foot out. Brother Tim Berry, a missionary to the jails, was in our church growing up. He'd always say, you can only ride the fence so long until you hit a fence post. Because there's going to come a moment in your life where the temptation is going to get so great, you're going to have to choose. Do I stay or do I go? Do I serve God with my life? Or I want to go there. Better be careful. Sometimes God will send us a message and He'll make us a mark. And He'll turn us around. And I'm going to be honest, I believe that that's what He's doing right now for somebody in the church. Maybe you've allowed the devil to lure you. Maybe you've allowed your flesh to draw your eyes to some things of this world and you're, you know, you're still here and you're still apart, but the truth is you're, you've got your eyes on something over there. And you're one bad day away from becoming a Demas. And here's God saying, don't go over there. I, I know maybe you've slipped up a few times. I know maybe you feel weak. Maybe you haven't done this and maybe you haven't done that. But come back over here and you can be a mark and you can be profitable to the ministry and God can use you in a mighty way if you'll just listen. Or in a year, in two years, we'll go to a meeting or someone will come visit and they'll say, hey, where's brother so-and-so? Where's sister so-and-so? They forsook the church. They forsook God. And they've, they've gone out there having loved this present world. What's your legacy going to be? Let's all stand this morning. Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. 
We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon. And we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord.